This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Thanks so much for joining us today for our special 75th anniversary celebrations that we have going on. We are live at the Anvil Center in New Westminster. And you just heard there one of the real seminal moments for the Christy Clark Show. And of course, when Christy Clark was there, she wasn't the first woman to ever have been on NW, but her show certainly had a huge impact. We also wanted to take some time this hour on our show to talk about some of the pioneering women on CKNW because, you know, I think we take it for granted in this province that, yeah, there's lots of women on talk radio. That's not necessarily the case right across the country. And if it is now, it really has only been in the last five to ten years where that's happened. But CKNW was at the forefront of that. So... I have some very special guests with us to talk about this today. I have Shirley Stalker, former CKNW talk show host and producer, also very instrumental in our CKNW Orphans Fund back in the day as well. Hi, Shirley. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. When did you start with CKNW? 1971. As? You came here because you were with the CBC. I was with the CBC, and I had... um, done a story at the CBC that they didn't like, and so they didn't <laughs> renew my contract. <laughs> and so uh, Jack Wasserman picked up the story that I'd been let go, and Hal Davis picked it up and called me and said, I'd like you to come and see me, and we can talk about possibly being on the air, because we're looking for women. 1971. So, How many women were there when you started working at CKW? Nobody, just me. Yeah. You were the first. Well, I don't know about the newsroom. I think there were women in the newsroom at that point, but I was the first to be a producer. Well, on the newsroom side of it, also one of the first women who were there was uh, Doriana Temelo, who joins us now. Hi, Doriana. Hello, Simi. What year did you start at CKNW? I started 1978, and uh, right out of school. I was 19. I was hired by Warren Barker. I was very lucky. Wow, that would have been 1978. How many women were around at that time in the newsroom of CKNW? A, a, a couple, like Bill and uh, Barb Whiting and uh, Laurie Farquhar. And, but it was a, a woman's voice on air was very rare. We're going to talk about that because there's always something about when a woman's voice is in that kind of authoritative position, especially back then. I also want to say hi to our next guest that we have with us. It's Sean Webster, former CKNW host for 10 years. Hi, Sean. Hello. We missed you this morning, too. Just a little, The Frosty Force show was having a little reunion. A little reunion, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. I was working. Oh, well, <laughs> tough. Yeah. And they're all retired. Yeah. Uh, when did you start at CKNW? I came uh, to CKNW in 1990, and uh, I had been let go by another station. And uh, I called Doug Rutherford, and he said, oh, I wondered when you were going to call me. That's nice. <laughs> yeah, which was nice. So, yeah, and I went, and that was that. So, yeah, 1990 to 2004. And you there. did a little of everything, right, when you were there? Well, I had been flying um, in the chopper doing traffic for the morning show and afternoon show at um, WX 1130 and, and KISS FM. So I had that flying expertise, and that's why he was looking for me for the mornings for Frosty. So mostly I was the traffic chick, and I will say that because that's what we said back then, and me too can come in and wipe that all clean. But anyway, um, I, I, I then went on. Well, I did a lot of remotes. I did a lot of sales stuff. I worked with sales a lot, and uh, one of the other places that some of the women that were groundbreaking, I would say, was the sales department. Like Barb Welsh and Sherry Henschel and some of those girls, they they came in and gangbusters. I think Barb was actually the first woman in Canada to do 
broadcast sales. Really? Yeah. That would have been, of course, Shirley, you were telling us you started in 1971. You're in there as a producer. You're the first woman on that side of the building. What was that like for you? Was it difficult? Did you run up against any problems? Um, I had one woman call and say, um, I don't like women on the air. Are you wearing pants? Really? <laughs> Somebody actually took the time to call it, well, it was 1971, I guess. I said, yes, I'm wearing pants. She said, well, I thought you'd probably be wearing a skirt. You sound like a female. And I thought, what can I do about that? Nothing. So there was, was there pushback? Then? There was a lot of pushback because uh, women were not on the air. Um, and CBC was different because there were a lot of women on the air at CBC at the time. But um, when I came to CKNW, it was something fairly new. Um, and then when I got involved in the talk shows, they, it sort of calmed down because I was working with Bannerman and so many of the other talk show hosts. And so they, they, the fact that they accepted me, the audience eventually accepted the female. The right. That must have been hard for you sometimes, though, as well, is to think, I just want to do this. This is, why is this an issue? I didn't care. That's the way to do it then, no. isn't it? I figured that was my job and that was what I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't like it, that was too bad. Now I can hear Doriana chuckling because it sounds like you probably got some of that as well. Oh, well, if you answered the phone, they assumed you were the receptionist. And I had someone say, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to a man. I want to talk to someone who knows something. It was just because I was a woman. Yeah. How do you but respond to that? I said, I work in this newsroom. He said, I want to talk to a man. And so do you hand the phone over? No, I hung up. Nice. Yeah, that's well, you know, you you can only be nice to a certain point. Sorry, Warren, but <laughs> <laughs> but as a reporter, you were yet yeah, you're 19 years old. You said you were working in the newsroom. What was the atmosphere like in the newsroom at that well, time? Well, there were so few women. So when we first started, there were things like the the only washroom outside of broadcasting was a men's because when they built the building. Um, there were no women working in the newsroom, I assume, because there was a men's washroom there, and the women's washroom was by reception and clerical staff, and where the women would work. So we would use the men's washroom in a pinch if you were really stuck and you only had two minutes. And you, and I, I remember people would come, you know, Al Davidson once and opened the door, and I said, "There's a woman in here. Sorry, sorry, sorry." And you know, it, it was just a different world. Uh, there were pinups in the newsroom newsroom at the end above the teletypes which was kind of different and like pinups like you know there's kids out there today who wouldn't even know what you were talking about oh, when you said yeah. that so we should explain what a pinup is like girls in bikinis yeah posters well, in the middle yeah. of a magazine they would yeah. be like in the newspaper yeah. they, the they, they weren't super bad but it was still it was bikinis. Girls in bikinis, bikinis in the workplace in the up. workplace where today would I would guess would not be con you know considered Don't appropriate. Don't even open that magazine <laughs> at the workplace. But yes, I brought my uh, I brought my centerfold of uh, John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever, and he had the the po he had the white suit. He was dressed, but when I put it up, I think they realized, oh, she seems to be offended, and uh, it it was a good way to do it because. At first, they were offended that I was offended because can't you take a joke and you know? Right. But, th but then they all came down after that. Everybody realized, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, they come down. Interesting that that's the way you chose rather than taking it on directly was to say, well, if you're going to do this, this is what I'm yeah, going to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it worked. It was is that good. the most effective way? Do you think oh, to do in that? that I, you know, they were really good to me in that newsroom. I worked with like, I worked John McKittrick and Arnie Epp and Carl Ways and oh, so many people, John Ashbridge later and. 
and Warren, of course, right? A great example. And uh, I think it, uh, it, it was just a, people needed to see times had changed. Right. Shirley, is that, do you think, that the best way for it, when you approached it as well? as just like, I'm here, I'm doing this, deal with it. Well, and yes, and I had so many hosts that I, um, talk show hosts that I worked with, and basically had to train them to do talk shows. Not the same as reading, mm-hmm. reading a newscast or something, mm-hmm. as, as you well know. Yeah. But to teach them how to do talk shows without getting the CTC on our case. Um, with Rafe Mayer very frequently <laughs> I was told <laughs> I, I love the chuckles because that means like you guys all know something that we don't know what, oh what were you very frequently told I was told that I had to read his scripts all the time before he went to air and edit them and he as you can imagine did not like that at all uh, with Bannerman I never had to touch his scripts um, a lot of his stuff was ad lib which was kind of scary but, you know, Ted Smith would say, let him go, let him do it. If, what he, if, if he wants to say that, let him say it. We didn't get into any, any trouble. There was no lawsuits with him. But there was problems with Rafe and um, the, the fish thing. And Dale Denier, the Sean, won the Jack Webster Award for the best flogging of condo that's and right. townhouses. Oh, yeah. Well, there really was no competition because, you know. Well, that's true. There I mean, I pretty, much, I pretty much own that genre. Maybe you could kind of teach <laughs> Phil, give him some coaching on how to yeah. sell that little totem deal there. Oh, Sean, you know? he does need a bit of help there, doesn't he? Making fun yeah. of the owner down there's there. More sincerity. More well, like you're, you're really there and you, oh, man, oh, you love man. this car. He's making fun of that rather weighty owner down there, Jordan uh, Knox or whatever his name is. Yeah. Welsh. Well, Welsh. Welsh, yeah. Yeah. Who so apparently he's a big is, guy, is he? I get this impression. He's a big man with a big heart with a big deal. Well, oh. I don't. I hear he's going on a diet, actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He's cut out peanut butter. Last six <laughs> months, he burned out 14 bulbs in the refrigerator. Now, that was the clue right there. Oh, that is uh, the Frosty Four show with Sean Webster there back in August of 1999. And, you know, Sean, I have to tell you, when we were listening back to a lot of this audio for today, I, all I could think of was, man, we could not get away with some of this <laughs> oh, today. Oh. Well, I'm listening to these ladies talk about how they were standing up for being a woman here. And, and that was always what was tough for me. I, and that's why I said I was the traffic chick. And some of the girls in the newsroom were kind of like, Really? I mean, you know, but that was part of, it was the shtick I had to go with. It yes. was what we did. That was the role that you it were It was given. the role. And, and, I mean, I look back at it now, and I have to admit I have a different viewpoint. But at the time, I thought, oh, lighten up, everybody. Like I did, mm-hmm. you know, I right. mean, that's what we had to do. And uh, that's how you broke in. That's how you broke in. That, I mean, it was the entertainment <laughs> side. It was completely different from the talk and news side. Although... Yeah. As Gord McDonald reminded me when I arrived, you know, being in the plane for so many years, I had many times where something was happening and I was the one there. So once there was a police chase that went on for minutes in the middle of the 8 a.m. major and they just threw it to me and we followed that car and everything that happened and it was nuts and we could do it from the air it was did you ever feel that, that you did have the opportunity then if you wanted to no longer be as you put it the traffic chick like was that mobility available to you? Um, I think it would have been if I had pursued it. And I did fill in for Fanny. I did do the talk show for a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, what I did was so easy. It was so fun and it was very rewarding. I got tons of opportunity from that, honestly. You know, John Plool came to me and said, 
you. You're going to be the judge at the fireworks. I mean, for five years, I was one of the judges with Grace McCarthy and you were like, Deb why not? Hope. Yes, and yeah, it was great. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm sorry, Doriana, but you didn't get to do that. <laughs> I did. Yeah, surely did. Once. Surely did. <laughs> but so true. So it was yeah. just different roles. Though, it was different roles, yeah. and, um, and yeah, and it was a different time. I mean, the stuff. I mean, my predecessor was known as Wonder Buns. Come on. Yeah, right. Time. Rick Honey I know, called her Wonder Kathy. Buns. Yeah, Kathy was Wonder Buns, all, and I got similar stuff. <laughs> and uh, quite yet, a bit of it. <laughs> different era, as we said there. And yeah. you mentioned a name there that we absolutely have to talk about is Fanny Kiefer. Yes, uh, yes. Fanny was just amazing. We wish that she could have been here with us today. She wasn't able to join us. Uh, what, now, Fanny, you and Fanny must have overlapped as well, both we working there. Yeah, Fanny and I talked last night, and she's um, off to a writers' festival today. So she sends her apologies that she can't make it. But yes, she was a great talk show host. We yes. Worked, we worked well together. Yeah. And that was it like for her. That was the Fanny Kiefer show at a time when it was all those really big, huge names. What was it like to Shirley Stalker and Fanny? Yeah. How did you guys make sure you were visible at that time? You could get your voice heard. We just did. I don't know. There was no magic to it. We just had a job to do, so we did it. Um, part of the, the, the thing that I remember so well is working with so many of the male hosts as a female executive producer and trying to get them to do what needed to be done. And that was difficult, but I think it's easier now. The guys are a lot more flexible. <laughs> really? Really? We're going to see about that. I have a feeling Shirley's got some stories. I know Doriana's got more stories. We are going to continue our discussion about what it was like uh, for women back in the day of CKNW because they played an integral part in that history. Ever wonder how some Vancouver radio stations get their bird's eye traffic reports when only CKNW has a plane? How can they report in-depth news first when CKNW has the largest news staff? And can they have anybody to talk to when only CKNW has Bannerman, Barry Clark, and Terry Moore? What's your favorite station? I have become convinced we need to go back to those old logos and yeah. because listening to them today, I just love them. Welcome back to the show. I'm Simi Sarah, everybody. We are live at the Anvil Center celebrating our 75th anniversary. My guest this hour, we are talking about really the history of women at CKNW, which, you know, you hear always the big male names, but there were so many women who played an integral part as well. Like the women we have here today, we have Shirley Stalker, started in 1971. Uh, one of the very first women ever at CKNW. We've got Doriana Temelo started in 1978. We have Sean Webster, who was also an important and integral point uh, voice on the Frosty Four Show. How long were you there on the Frosty Show? Um, I was at NW for 14 years. I was on Frosty Show for a little over 11. I, I had a baby and... You know, near the end, it kind of, you know... When you went out, did people yeah. say to you, I know you, I hear your voice, I know you? Well, I was saying, like, I had been at another station in town, and, you know, when you work in radio, people, oh, I heard you on the radio, you did hear that. And then I started at NW, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even believe it, because yeah. everywhere I went, I thought, wow, those numbers don't lie. No, they didn't. Right? Not. Like, we had such a big share then, it was unbelievable, and I couldn't go anywhere. Suddenly, it, it just... 
amplified, right? So, so true. Yeah. Uh, I mm-hmm. want to talk to Shirley Stalker because Shirley, you've got some great stories. You were the executive producer on some of the biggest talk shows at the time. Uh, you had a great story about Gary Bannerman, and this was the one at the penitentiary, and I remember this. What was going on? Uh, it was a hostage taking, and he was asked to mediate, so he went out. And he was, and it was during a work day, so I had to fill in for him, which was fine. But um, at any moment, I had no idea whether he was going to have that. Andy Bruce had a knife at his throat, and they were demanding to, to fly to Cuba. And Gary was um, in another room after after they let him go, after Andy Bruce let him go, and this was just before he killed. Mary Steinhauser, mm-hmm. and so we were all on the radio. Yeah, and he was broadcasting live um, t- to me as as the host, and it was just so scary. Um, as a ma- as a matter of fact, um, when they closed the pen down, they sent us um, a little um, ornament with with the bars on a piece of wood saying BC Penitentiary. And the years that we were there. Um, I remember that story. Mm-hmm. And then Webster had to go and do it another time. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just Bannerman, but Bannerman went out on two separate occasions for negotiations. And right. it was scary and really scary. One of the things you've mentioned that you're very proud of is, is the work done on saving the Trade and Convention Center. What was that? Oh, that was a huge event. Um, the, there, was, there was a possibility that it wasn't going to happen because the federal government wasn't quite prepared to pack up to pass up all the money that was needed. The city of Vancouver wanted it and they, and everyone had approved it. The provincial government wanted it under the jurisdiction of Grace McCarthy. But we couldn't get the federal government to agree to it. So we finally talked to anybody who was anybody that had any connection to the federal government and we started a petition and we had a petition with 20,000 names on it that flooded into our office. We couldn't get into one office, it was so bad. And the post office finally said, stop it, because we're going to have to shut the post office down if you keep that up. And then we showed all those petitions to the federal people, and they finally agreed to put the money through so the Trade and Convention Center was built. Amazing! And you even got a little thank you plaque from Grace McCarthy for that. We, Gary and I both got a nice thank you from Grace McCarthy on a piece of marble from the floor before the convention center was sent from the other old building. And people would not know that, that today there would be no convention center if you hadn't done that. Well, I, I think that's probably a <laughs> good guess. I yes. think so too, yeah. Those are just some of the stories that make up the history of CKNW. And Doriana, we were talking about the first years that you were in the newsroom. Your first day, though, sounds like it was very challenging. Well, the first night on the beat, yeah, it was Terry Fox. Um, they had found cancer in his other leg in Thunder Bay, and he was returning to Vancouver. And I remember the airport was just jammed because he'd already, he'd started in pretty well obscurity, but by Thunder Bay, he was super well known and there was a lot of people cheering for him and it was devastating when he got the bad news. And I remember he came back and there was, the airport was jammed and they went to Royal Columbian Hospital. He had a news conference there. And then um, months later, unfortunately, um, he passed away and we were, we were there and that was Oh, so sad. We were all in the lobby uh, of the hospital. We'd been there for hours, didn't know how long we'd be there, what was happening. And they came to wake us up at 4.30 in the morning. And 
you know, he he was 22. I was a few months younger. Uh, it was incredibly sad. Yeah. Incredibly sad. Taken way too young. He really was. And even to be there covering. On yeah. That, yeah. And just, I remember we, we came back. Um, there was a news conference and we recorded and it was super early in the morning. By the time I got back to the newsroom, it was still, still only six or something. And we played the whole news conference and I narrated the questions because they were all off mic. Right. And just to hear the, the doctors and the nurses speak. And, and um, it was um, just it, it is a story that has stayed with me my entire life. It's yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah. It must have been also incredibly competitive working in the CKNW newsroom because, I mean, you know, you hear all the ads about how oh, big yeah. the newsroom was. And well, I, I will say the newsroom was the best in town. We, we, <laughs> we, we had great pride. Like, it, really, to say you were at CKNW was the job. It was amazing. But you couldn't miss a story either. No, no. And we were so... I don't know if I should admit this, but there was Last, tell the story, Doriana, tell the story. <laughs> there was one time we were all uh, covering a rotary lunch or some event like that. So there's a whole bunch of reporters from different places, TV, radio, whatever. And in those days, pre-sell, this is, you know, quite a while ago, this, uh, everybody's pagers go off. So it's like, call the newsroom, call the newsroom, okay, you call. And I was told a pipe bomb has gone off somewhere in Coquitlam. you got to drive out that way because we're in downtown Vancouver. So everybody heads out in their own cars and whatever. And I get out there and I'm saying, do you know where? No, we can't find out. And the, nobody had contacts that at that particular day working that could, the police wouldn't talk to us. We had no idea where, but I heard one newscast. I could hear the reporter, the other. My competition is there. Oh, that's the worst feeling. And oh my God, I've got to find it. I've got to find it. They're going to kill me if I can't come up with it. So my solution, because I tried everything else I knew, and there was no way, just no Twitter, no Google, is I found the competition and I said, hi, I, I hear you pay for news tips. And he said, yes, we do, if we use them. And, and what, what have you got? And I said, well, there's something going on here in my home and like down the street in Coquitlam. And he said, is that Pine Street? And I said, I think so. Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, that was it. Okay, I found it. <laughs> and you never collected. Oh, I no, did. No, I didn't get my name. <laughs> but it was, oh, yeah. That was, that was they, so they would have been mortified to know that their own desk, how did you find it? It was like someone we knew you called gave us. it away. <laughs> they had the scoop on there, NW, then they there, gave it away. There is a way, you yes, know. You just have to be persistent. I learned do. that. You know, talking about persistent in the talk shows, one of the things <laughs> that I said to the staff, you don't cry yeah. and you don't get lunch. And oh, because they had to keep going all day because we were doing talk shows all the time and we were relying on what was coming in from the news to, yeah. to get our guests. Yeah. It so could change your whole broadcast depending on what the news was, precisely. right? That's like a line out of broadcast news, isn't it? Don't cry and you don't get lunch. Yeah. You don't get lunch <laughs> and you don't oh. cry and that was... Yeah. You eat at your desk. That, well, I, most, almost so every meal in my career was at my desk. So yeah. true. And you also had a Jim Houston story that you were going to tell us. Oh, yeah. When we, when we switched over between, uh, we finally went computerized near the end of my time there. I used to work, Jim would do the sports and I was doing the newscast. And he would always joke that he, if he won the lottery, he was going to take me to Bermuda. We were friends. <laughs> and I, I, you know, like we were both quite young. And I said, great, great, great. He was always checking his tickets on the teletype. And then, so he was in reading the sports, and it occurred to me that with the switchover, the, our new computers were exactly the type 
of the teletype. It was almost identical. So it just five minutes to go, I quickly typed out stations, broadcast stations, here are your winning numbers tonight. And I had his, he had left me, oh, his, the, he had left no. me the tickets because he had to run in. And he said, check them for me. And yeah. So he comes <laughs> out and he says, well, did I win? I said, you know, I got so busy. I was answering the phones. I didn't, I, I, they're over there. And so he walked over, and of course he's won. But if you'd look closely, the odd, odds of two tickets winning, <laughs> first and second. But he just looked at the first one, and he said, oh, my God, oh, my God, I won, I won, I won. And Arnie was working, and Arnie hadn't seen me do it. And he says, holy, you did win. Because Arnie's totally <laughs> bought in because nobody else had seen me do it. So you're telling me that the reason that Jim Houston is still on the air today is because he didn't win the lottery when he thought he did <laughs> well, back when you was, were working with I, him. It, he was mad. What, what happened was, <laughs> I, I, would think so. I was, he, he was ready to call Al Davidson and say, you take this job and, you know. But I, oh, I remember, my goodness. oh, he was almost on the phone and I'm, I'm trying, I was hyperventilating because now I've realized this may not be funny to him. <laughs> After all, I may have, this may not work out the way I hard. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm breathing hard and, and he's saying, what's going on, Anna? And I'm, because <laughs> I'm trying to say, no, you didn't win. You don't, 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 no, you didn't win. Oh, no. And finally, I'm able to get the words out. He did not win, and he looks at me, and I'm saying, "Here are the real numbers." Sorry, you see what? And, and you see, and he said that would have been really funny if it had been played on somebody else. <laughs> he, did, he didn't talk to me the rest of the night. He was so annoyed. I, I did well, think it was pretty good. You're lucky I guess he never did it. win the lottery because he is still uh, working. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. His, him his career TV. did not suffer. He I did see. not. He did yeah. okay. I, I think he's done just yeah. fine. He has. Yeah. Listen, ladies, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming down today and thank talking to so us much. and telling thank us you. all these great stories. Shirley Stalker, Doriana Tamalo, and Sean Webster talking about the history of women at CKNW and, of course, just the history of CKNW. Such a huge part of it.